0: Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning through your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Spirit who dwells with us, and we praise you for being our God. We thank you for making us your people, and we come with confidence this morning because of how your word has revealed your heart to us. You are the God of history, working all things according to the counsel of your will, accomplishing the plan you set forth in the beginning of time to redeem a people for Yourself that they may praise and magnify Your Son, that You might be glorified forever. Lord, You have done this. You are doing this. You are working all things for this purpose. You are in complete control of everything that happens in this world. There is nothing that happens that You do not will to come about, Lord. You are the sovereign God of history And you are working redemptively through it all. And you are also our Father who cares for us. And just as you are sovereign in every act of history, you are sovereign every moment of our lives. Nothing happens to us that is not from your good, loving will for our lives. Nothing surprises you, even though it surprises us. Nothing phases you, Lord, but you are in complete control and exercising your love toward us. And so we cast our cares on you. We bring our anxieties to you. We, we bring our troubles to you, and we say we trust you, Lord. We do not fear Because you are the God who saves us. And we have confidence that you will accomplish in us what you have started. And so we praise you for this. We praise you for the confidence we have. We praise you that one day we know Christ will return. And that our faith will be turned to sight. Everything will change. And we will worship you in your presence forever. And yet, Lord, we are here today waiting for that day. And we have gathered together to enter your presence and to hear your word and to be filled and satisfied and changed and equipped. And so we pray that you would do those things through your word today. Satisfy our hearts. Overwhelm us with your love. Equip us to live in obedient love for you. Strengthen our faith so that we do not fade away from holding fast to the blessed hope of Christ's return, but that we live with our eye on that day, together spreading the fame and worth of Christ into the world. We we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a, a little exercise. I want to just ask you guys to think with me for a minute. Um, this morning's sermon is all about friendship. I'm going to say that right off the bat. And with it all being about friendship, I just wanted to ask you to think to yourself, who was your first best friend? Just get them in your mind. When you, when you were a child, who was your first best friend? Just Picture them in your mind. What was their name? What did you guys do together? My best friend, my first best friend, his name was Danny Sadler, and, and Danny uh, taught me what football was. I don't think I'd ever seen a football before, and he showed me a football, and we played football Monopoly, and we played football in his yard, and from then on, football was my favorite sport, and Danny and me were best friends all through elementary school and middle school. Who was your first childhood friend? Just, just, when you think of that person, doesn't it bring you a sense of happiness, a sense of just delight, a sense of joy, and, and, and the simple friendship you had when you were a child? Kids, you may even be thinking right now of, of of your best friends and and just the the happiness they bring you. You're thankful for your friends. Okay, so next friendship question: um, We have best friends when we're little, right? And and we um, you know enjoy playing with them and hanging out with them. And then it s- seems like as we grow, that there's comes a point in time when friendships take on a depth to them, and that depth usually happens when hard times come when when is the first time that you experienced friendship in the context of hard times when was it when can you look back at your life and and say yeah that that's really the first time that I really saw what being a friend meant because this happened in my life or this happened in my friend's life and and it brought us together, and the friendship meant something more at that point than it had before when we were just kids. For us, it was when my, my friend's mom, or my friend's, my friend's dad, or rather, my friend's dad took his own life when we were in eighth grade. And we were just kids, just hung out and listened to Switchfoot all the time. And then all of a sudden, everything mattered. And everything became real and hard and serious and and confusing. But I look back on that time and I see friendship meant something then. All of a sudden, friendship was more than just being together and hanging out. Friendship was real and it mattered. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Has a friend ever failed you? Have you ever had a friend fail you? Have you ever had a friend betray you? Have you ever had a friend harm you? Have you ever failed your friends? Have you ever betrayed your friends? Have you ever made decisions that hurt your friends? Have you ever been in a friendship that that was good and then through the actions of you or them or both, that friendship became Irreparable. It became damaged. It, it lost its goodness. Friendship is a blessing from God. Friendship is a blessing from God. If you look in the book of Proverbs, so many verses in Proverbs commend friendship to us. They commend having good friends and being a good friend, and they describe what a good friend is. God designed friendship. He he created it. He made it up, and He he gave it to us to to bless us and to give us joy and to give us comfort and to give us help. And at the same time, our sin distorts friendship, and and our sin harms friendship. Our sin ruins friendship. And so the Proverbs doesn't just tell us what a good friend is. The Proverbs also, through all of these descriptions of a good friend, it points us beyond one another. And it says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And the Proverbs point us beyond the friendships that we have in this life, the, the good, happy, blessing-giving friendships that are distorted and crippled by sin. And, and it says there is a friend that is closer than you can imagine. There is a friend who is faithful to you. There is a friend who commits to you. There is a friend who is a perfect friend. This friend who we just see he, he described in the book of Proverbs, Jesus comes and he, and he declares to his disciples, I am this friend to you. I am the friend who sticks closer than our brother. I am the friend you need. Jesus is the greatest friend. And we are in the book of John, chapter 15, the upper room discourse, and Jesus is with his disciples who he has made his friends, And as he prepares to go to the cross and then to rise again, ascend to heaven, and leave them on the earth while they wait for his return, Jesus is concerned that they continue to follow him and continue to love each other. If you look at chapter 13 in the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, as an example for them to follow with each other. And then Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love each other as I have loved you, a new commandment I give to you. He he is concerned that they love each other as he's loved them. And in chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, Jesus continues to press this concern in on his disciples, that, that they would love each other as he's loved them. And he does it using the language of friendship. He does it using the language of friendship. And so this morning, we are going to meditate together on Christ as the greatest friend and all that that means for how we are to love each other. All that that means for how we are to be friends to one another in this world as we wait for Christ's return. And so the text is John 15, 12 through 17, and we're going to look at Christ's friendship. Then as we look at Christ's friendship, we're going to see three things that his friendship provides us with. Jesus' friendship provides us with the pattern for our friendships. It provides us with the power for our friendships. And it provides us with the purpose for our friendships. Okay, three things. His friendship provides us with the pattern for friendship, the power for friendship, and the purpose for friendship. Now we're going to spend most of our time today looking at that first point, the pattern for friendship. Because that that is what Jesus is getting that with his disciples. Love each other as I've loved you. We're going to look at the pattern for friendship through the whole text, and then we're going to look at the power and the pattern as as we wrap up the text and look more closely at how do we live this out together. And so if you would, turn to John 15, 12 through 17 is our passage, and to get a running start from where we were, Last week, this is connected with the passage before where Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Let's read from John 15, starting in verse 8, and we'll read all the way through verse 17. John 15, 8 through 17. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So let's spend some time thinking about the pattern for friendship. Jesus says in verse 12, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another as I have loved you. My love is the pattern. For your love. And using the language he uses in the whole text, my friendship of you is the pattern for your friendships with one another. And so we need to ask, what is the love of Christ? And how does his love come to us? And how is the friendship expressed? And how do we do that with one another? I don't want you to miss in verse 12 that he says, this is my commandment. Because this connects this passage back to 15, 1 through 11. Like I said, we've been we've been looking the last two weeks at the vine and the branches. Pastor Ryan has been, has been showing us what it means that Jesus is the vine. He is the life. He is everything. We are the branches. We are nothing unless we abide in Him. And the Father is the vine dresser who prunes fruitful branches so that they bear more fruit. And Jesus calls his disciples, as a branch abides in a vine, to abide in him. And then in verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay, so one thing I was struck by when we were looking at these sermons in 15, 1 through 11 is the very personal nature of abiding in Christ. You know, people say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And I was thinking to myself as I was listening last Sunday to the sermon. That is so true. Because Jesus is saying, abide in me. Let me abide in you. Abide in my words. Pray to me. Abide in my love. All of this is personal, personal stuff. Jesus is calling his disciples into a personal, vibrant relationship with him. And he's saying, when you do this, when you have this personal, abiding relationship with me, what's going to happen? You're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit and it's going to glorify my Father. And so I'm listening to these sermons the last couple of weeks and thinking this is awesome. This is, this is exciting because we get to abide in Christ. We get to know Christ, rest in his love. And, and when we do that, we're going to bear fruit for his glory. That, that's the message of John 15, 1 through 11. And it's very personal. It's, it's very vertical. But he says in verse 10, this is my commandment. He says, if you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right? If, if you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love. So part of the personal nature of abiding is obedience. And in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Okay, okay so what I want you to see here is that abiding in Christ is personal. It is deeply personal. But it is also deeply communal. No one is a fruitful Christian by just focusing on their vertical relationship with Jesus, exclusive of their horizontal relationship with other Christians. You will not bear fruit if you ignore one another and only focus on this one-way vertical relationship with Christ. This needs to be expressed towards each other. To abide in Christ's love means that you obey his commandments, and his command is to love each other. And so there is a personal nature to abide in Christ. There's also a corporate nature, a communal nature. And so th- th- this could really be called He is the True Vine, part three, because Jesus is saying, here's how you bear fruit. Here's how you abide. You, you rest in my love. You hear my words. You pray to the Father in my name, and you obey my commandments. And my commandment is to love one another. So to abide in Christ means not only that we have this personal relationship with Christ, but that we love each other as he has loved us. And so this is all about bearing fruit. This is all about being a branch as Christ is the vine. And so we need to ask ourselves then, with the goal being that we will be fruitful branches together as a church, how has Christ loved us? How has Christ loved us? Love one another as I have loved you. Before we look at verse 13, I want us to look at verse 9 again from last week. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Okay, so love one another as I have loved you. How have you loved us? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus has loved us as the Father has loved him. And he calls us to love one another that way. And so we need to trace that down, right? Don't we? We need to see what is the Father's love for Christ, and how does that translate to us, and how does that translate towards each other? So let's think again: how has the Father loved Christ? Well, from eternity past, as far back as we can go, as far back as we can imagine, and then infinitely further, the Father has loved the Son. They've been in perfect communion with each other for all of eternity. And that love that the Father has for the Son is a perfect, complete, joyful, delightful affection for the Son. The only way to describe the the Father's love for the Son is in terms of delight and joy and affection. Because for eternity past, they, they have lived together in this holy, sinless fellowship. Right? And so, when Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, We know, we're going to get to, that he loved us by laying down his life for us. But that's not what he's saying here. He's, he's, because the Father doesn't lay down his life for the Son. He didn't have to. The Father's love for the Son is, is a, it's a qualitative love. It's an affectionate love. It's a, it's a joyful love. And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of love I have for you. And, and, and here's what we need to know this morning, is, is that Jesus loves you in his heart. Jesus delights in you. Jesus is affectionate for you. Jesus takes joy in you. It's a real, true, joy producing affection that he has for you and me. And it's not. Here's the difference. It's, it's it's not because he looks at us and 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 says, "Oh, how how lovely you are! How how uh, great you are! I, 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 you just, it just wells up inside of me when I see you and think about you that I, that I have all this affection because of who you are." No, it's the exact opposite. The father loves the son because the son is completely lovely. The son is completely perfect. The son is completely delightful. But we are exactly the opposite. There's nothing lovely about us. There's nothing good in us. There's nothing that would draw out love in us. But Jesus just as truly says, I have set that type of love on you. I have given you that affection, and it's a real affection. It's a true affection. I love you as the Father has loved me. Now this, I think helps us understand then what he means when he says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. As we tend to think of the cross as we were sinners, we were enemies, uh, God was wrathful and, and Jesus died so that God would love us. But that's not what happened at the cross. Jesus died because the Father loved us. Jesus died because he loved us. He set his affection on us while we were enemies, and then he gave his life for us to make us his friends. So the love that's expressed through his self-sacrifice on the cross, standing in our place, taking on our sins, bearing the righteous requirement of wrath that that we deserved, that act of love, that act of sacrifice, was rooted in the fact that he set his affection on you. That he said, I love you, you're mine, I'm going to make you my own, and I'm going to give my life to make it a reality. The cross is the demonstration of his love for you. And So how has he loved us? He has set his affection on you, and then he has given his life for you to demonstrate that love and to make it possible for you to be with him. This is why in Ephesians 5, Paul says Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He loved us and he gave himself for us, that we might be presented to him like a bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish. He loved us first, and he gave himself for us, so that he could stand at the front of the aisle and watch his bride come to him, spotless, clean, pure, able to come in fellowship with him. His love for us is like a groom's love for his bride. His delight in us is like a groom's delight in his bride. It's real. It's affection. He didn't didn't just go to the cross passionless. He didn't just die for you without affection for you. He died for you full of affection for you, full of love for you. This is Jesus' love for us. Praise the Lord that he has loved us like this. There is no greater love and that someone laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus has laid down his life, making us friends, and we were enemies. In verse 15, there's more to his friendship than even that. In verse 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. And, and so Jesus is giving commands to his disciples. He is the king. He is the Lord. He has all authority. He's giving commands. But he says, listen, I, I don't call you servants. I'm not giving you these commands as a master to his servant, but I'm giving you these commands now calling you my friends. And here's how you know that you are my friend. I have revealed the Father to you. I have taken the truth of who God is and I've, I've spoken it to you. I have revealed his will to you. And, and listen, the master, a master, a servant does not know what his master is doing. doesn't have to. You might not know what your boss is up to. He just says, do this, and you do it, right? And you don't need to know why. But Jesus is saying, I've let you in. What he's saying is, I've shared my heart. He's, he's, he's opened his heart to us. He has disclosed himself to us. He has led us into, into what he thinks and what he feels and what he is doing and what he wants. He, he has spoken to us through his word. And this is his friendship. This, this, he says, This is how you know your friends because, I, because I've disclosed myself to you. I've not kept myself at a distance from you where you don't know who I am, but but you know me. You know me and you know my father. I've called you friends. And then finally, in case we think, when we hear all this, that we had something to do with it, in verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. It's it's not like we were coming up to Jesus' house and knocking on the door and saying, will you please be my friend, Jesus? I want to be your friend. No, we, we were hating him. We were enemies of him. We were, we were rejecting him. We didn't want anything to do with him. And he looked at us and he chose us. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my love on you. I choose you to be my friend. I am going to befriend you. I am going to lay down my life to you. I'm going to reveal my heart to you. You will be my friend. He chose us to be his friends. This is how he's loved us. When he says, love each other as I've loved you, here's how he's loved us. He he chose you. He set his love on you. He gave his life for you. And he's opened his heart to you. That's the love of Christ. That's the friendship of Christ. And now he says, this is my commandment. How do you abide in that love? You obey my commandments. And this is my commandment, that you love one another that way. That you love one another that way. And so... I want to move from thinking these amazing, huge thoughts about the love and friendship of Christ to now saying, how do we practically live that out towards each other? How do we love each other that way? The first thing that I think we can say, if he chose us, if we did not choose him, but he chose us, then then that gives us something to follow. And what we can say is, is that we can love each other by initiating our friendships with each other. Initiate friendship with each other. We are not a huge number of people, but we are big enough that not everyone knows everyone very well in here. Over the last few years, we've had new members come, and we've had old members leave, and and we're, we're always changing. And what we can do is we can initiate with each other. We, we can move outside of the circles of friendships that we are more comfortable in, and we can say, I'm going to move across the room to that person. I'm, I'm going to invite that family over to my house. I'm going to spend time with the kids today at the meal instead of with the adults. I'm going to initiate friendship with people because Jesus chose me when I didn't choose him. And so I want to reflect that by by going to those who, who need a friend. Going to those who I don't know well. Going to those who who are looking for friendship and loving them and not not just getting in and, and what, what happens when we do that is is we form a web of relationships. <laughs> Like what we don't want to see in our fellowship is a circle of friends here and a circle of friends here and a circle of friends here. And we're all close in these circles, but we don't know each other. We want people reaching outside of those circles, across to each other, so that there's a web of relationships that we all, that we may not all know each other equally well or be equally friends with each other. We all are connected together in a web of friendship that reflects Christ. And so initiate friendship with each other. And, and, and kids and youth, that is especially important for you to hear. Because it is easy and fun to just hang out with those you like to hang out with the most. But Jesus did, did, did not just leave us on the outside, but he pursued us. He came to us. And so don't exclude others from your circle of friendships, but, but reach out. Bring them in to your friendships. Initiate with each other. Okay. Second, how can we love as Jesus loved? Well, he loves us as the Father loved him. What that means for us is that we need to commit to unconditional affection for each other. Commit to unconditional affection for each other. Again, we we kind of discussed this earlier, but the, the Father's love for the Son, you, you could say it's unconditional, but the reality is that Jesus meets all the conditions. Jesus is perfectly lovely. He draws out love because he's worthy of that love. And so the Father's love for the Son is, is affectionate and delightful, but it's not really it's not really unconditional, just in the sense that Jesus already meets the conditions. But when Jesus then says, As the fathers loved me, so have I loved you, he's talking to people who don't meet any of their conditions. He's talking to people who have nothing lovely about them. And then when he says, So love each other that way? What should that mean? That should mean that we love each other without condition as to how we are treated by each other. We love each other unconditionally with real affection, because that's how Christ has loved us. Real affection in spite of who we really are. Real affection in spite of our sin and our failing. Real delight in spite of the fact that there's nothing delightful about us. That's how we need to love each other, because the reality is I will fail you. I will fail to love you. I probably already have failed to love you. You will fail to love me. We will hurt each other. In the body of Christ, we will hurt each other. You will get hurt by someone else in this room. And when that happens, what do people do? They go find another place where they're not going to get hurt. And they look for a church where there's not going to be any pain. And they're never going to find it. Because we aren't the greatest friend. We are sinful friends. And so instead of looking for a place that doesn't exist, we need to commit to unconditional affection for each other, that I'm going to take joy and delight in you regardless of what you do to me. Because Christ has taken joy and delight in me regardless of who I was. No matter how much you hurt me, no matter how much you you harm me, no matter what you do to me, I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to commit on the front end to loving you. And this is what our membership commitment is all about, that that we say we are going to commit to each other. We are going to forgive each other. We're going to bear with each other. That's loving each other as Christ has loved us. And so commit to unconditional affection for each other. Third, he laid down his life for us, so we should lay down our lives for each other. should lay down our lives for each other. In 1 John chapter 3, John picks up what Jesus says here, and he says, he says, brothers, if Christ laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. And, you know, if, if we were outside after the service, and, and Daniel Coleman was talking out there and just chatting it up, right? chatty Kathy, and, and he's unaware that a car is just booming down the driveway aiming for him. All right, but I see it, see the car coming, I should jump in front of it for him, right? Lay down my life for Daniel. I would do that for you, Daniel. Love you. But probably not going to happen, right? It's probably not going to happen. And for most of us, we are probably not going to get the chance to literally lay down our lives for each other, right? We should if we get the chance, and that would demonstrate the gospel vividly. But what does John say in the next verse in 1 John? He says we should lay down our lives for each other and then he says, if anyone sees his brother in need and doesn't help him, how can the love of God be in him? And so the practical application to laying down your life for each other is being willing to sacrifice practically for each other in need. You, you make sacrifices. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your money. You sacrifice your talents. You sacrifice your, your, your things so that you can help each other in need. You practically sacrifice for each other to love each other. And and we should should not just wait for opportunities when someone's really in need to do that. We should seek them out. Seek out opportunities to sacrifice for each other because you want to express, this is how Christ has loved us. I want to love you that way. And then finally, how can we follow Jesus' pattern in our friendships with each each other? Well, he, he, he spoke to us. He speaks to us. He reveals his heart to us. And this is huge. We need to share our hearts with each other. Friendship is only going to go as deep as we let it go through authentic relationship with each other. How are you really doing? How is your marriage really doing? How is your walk with Christ really? Where where is your joy really How is your family really? What's going on really in your life? We need to be willing to open up our hearts to each other. We we need to be intentionally intrusive, and then we need to be authentically honest when someone's intentionally intrusive. We need to be open back to them. We We need to trust that this person loves me, they've committed to me, Whatever I say, they're not going to turn their back on me. They're going to sacrifice for me. I can trust them, and so I'm going to be honest and open with them. Authentic relationship is part of what it means to be a friend. Authentic self-disclosure. We need to know who we really are and how we're really doing if we're going to have real friendship with each other. That's how we have friendship with Christ. He reveals his words to us, and he calls us to pray to him and speak to him. And So this is the pattern for friendship. Jesus is love. We love each other as he's loved us. And, and here's, here's the problem, is that we can't do that. We can't do it. I mean, we, we can want to do it. We can like the sound of it. We can like the vision for it. But, but we, we can't do it and we won't do it because we don't have the power to do it on our own. We all have a point in our day, no matter how much we travel, where we are ready to shut off. We just don't want to be talking anymore to people. We all have a point in our day where we are, we are ready to, to close in to those we're comfortable with. And we do not feel like moving across the aisle. We all have times where, where we just want to rest instead of Sacrifice. And to only be friends like this when we feel like it is is nothing more than the world does. We need power for supernatural friendship. And that power comes from the friendship of Christ. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay, here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that if you do what I command you, I'll let you be my friend. He's not saying if, 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 if you obey my commandments, then, then I'll check the list, this person's my friend now. No, no, he's, he's not saying that our obedience is a qualification for his friendship. What he's saying is if you do what I command you, you show yourself to be my friend. You demonstrate that you are my friend. When you obey the command to love each other as I've loved you, you show that you've experienced my love. It's important to get, when, when, when we love each other, the way Christ loved us, we are demonstrating that we've actually experienced the love of Christ. And when we don't do that, we are demonstrating that we've not experienced the love of Christ. And the truth is that in the Christian life, this is not a, a one-time thing. You, you can truly have experienced the love of Christ, but but then you fade away and, and you stop abiding in His love and, and you let the world take over and you don't rest in him and and you lose the power to be this type of friend. And so what we need is not just a one-time experience of his love, but we need to experience continually the power of Christ's love and the power of Christ's friendship. We need to remember that we are branches. We are nothing. We can do no good thing on our own. You're just a branch. And if you try really hard as a branch to love people without being connected to the love of Christ, nothing's going to happen. You will bear no fruit. But if you connect your branch to the love of Christ and you abide in him more and more deeply, you will bear fruit. And so how do we experience practically over and over the power of Christ's friendship? We need to remember who we were and remember what he's done. And I was thinking this week that I think we say this or something like this every sermon we preach at Redeemer Church. At some point, the application is going to be remember. Remember. And that's because there is no substitute for remembering who you are, what Christ has done, how he's changed you. There's nothing else that replaces that. That is where God works his power into our lives, is as we stop and remember Who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember who we were and and who he has made us to be. You were his enemy. You were his enemy. Don't forget that. As you experience his friendship, don't forget that you weren't always his friend. You were his enemy. You rejected him. You didn't want him. You deserved his wrath. And he laid down his life for you. He set his affection on you so you remember that over and over and over again. You preach the gospel to yourself day by day by day, hour by hour. You remember. And then you don't just remember, but then you say, because this is true, I'm going to enjoy this friendship with Christ. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enter into it. I'm going to experience what it's like to be Christ's friend. I'm going to do that by hearing his words and by speaking back to him. I mean, is that not what communion and friendship really is? It, it's it's sitting with each other, sitting with your spouse, sitting across the table with your friend and, and sharing your heart, hearing each other speak, listening to each other, asking questions. You You experience that friendship together. And Jesus has given us his word and he's called us to pray to him. He's calling us into friendship. And again, there is no substitute for this. There is no substitute for experiencing communion with Christ. And we can do it because he has laid down his life for us. And so experience the power of Christ's friendship by remembering what he's done, remembering who you were, and then saying, I'm going to enjoy this today. I'm going to sit in his words. I'm going to listen to him speak to me. I'm going to return adoration and love and repentance, and and petition, and and I'm going to enjoy communion with Christ who has made me his friend. Finally, the purpose for friendship. We we, we need to ask, why has Jesus done this? Why why has he made us his friends? And why does he call us to love each other this way? Why do we need to love each other like this? What's his purpose? Verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So so Jesus chose us in order to appoint us to go and bear fruit that will abide. The, The purpose of his friendship to us and the purpose of our friendships with each other is to bear spiritual fruit. And we need to note here that in verse 16, he's no longer just talking about fruit generally. Jesus has a very specific fruit in mind here. We need to see this. Look at verse 16. You see this word, appointed. I appointed you. That that word literally just means, I've set you aside for a task. I've set you aside for a specific task, disciples. I've, I've, I've befriended you and I've chosen you so that I can set you up for this task. What's the task? That you should go. When else does Jesus say go? Great commission. We, we, we need to know that, right? We say it every week. Go and make disciples of all nations. Here, he, he uses that language. I set you up for a task that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should what? Your fruit should abide. Who else abides in John 15? Who, who is called to abide? We are, right? Abide in me. Jesus calls us to abide, and here he says you're going to go bear fruit, and your fruit is going to abide. He he brings that word back in, and and that's a very strong indication that what he's saying is I've I've set you up for a task to go and bear fruit that's going to abide, to, to go into the world and make disciples who will also abide in me as you abide in me. Do you see it's a different image, but it's, it's the same concept. And, we, and if that's not enough evidence for us, look at verse 18. If the world hates you, it's hated me before you. If you were not of the world, the world will love you. The whole, the whole paragraph is about the disciples' relationship with the world. So right after this, he says this. Jesus, Jesus says, when you go into the world, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. And so Jesus' focus here is on the disciples going into the world to bear fruit that will abide, to make disciples, to to turn enemies into friends. Jesus' mission here for them, the purpose of their friendship is to go and and to take those who are still lost, take those who are still enemies of Christ and turn them into friends of Christ. The fruit is nothing less than new believers. And we, we need to see this. This is exciting and freeing because we don't make disciples by trying really hard to make disciples ultimately. Now, there is a going involved. There is an effort involved. But this is fruit. This is fruit. We make disciples by abiding in Christ's love, by loving one another, by going into the world together, praying in the Father's name together, and the fruit will come. The fruit will come. And we can trust that. We need to trust that. We need to trust that this fruit will happen when we give ourselves not to trying to get the fruit to happen, but to being in the vine, receiving the pruning of the Father, abiding deeply in Christ, loving each other. The fruit will come. And so how do we live out this purpose for friendship? Just, just I've already said a few of these, but we go into the world together. When, when we give the Great Commission on Sundays, it's not like we gather to do worship, and then we scatter to all go our separate ways. No, we should scatter together in a sense. We should scatter together on mission. Whether we're going into a ministry context together or whether we're inviting someone over to our house to meet with our neighbor for dinner, whatever we're doing, we should be going together. We should also be praying together. Look, he says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And again, that that is an amazing promise, but it's tied here to bearing fruit that abides. Jesus expects us to be praying together for lost people to be saved. Together. It's right here. Are you doing that? Are you taking time each week to pray together for lost people to be saved? That's the purpose of your friendship. Friendship. Your friendship's not just to hang out and have a good time. Your purpose is to make disciples. Your purpose is to bear fruit. And so go together, pray together. And then finally, let your love spill over. Let your love spill over. I want you to think again back to what Jesus says: as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In eternity past, the Father loved the Son. The Son loved loved the Father. Their love was perfect and complete and delightful, and they needed nothing. The God had needed nothing, but creation is the love of God spilling over. Redemption is the love of God spilling over. As the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. That is Jesus saying that I'm going to spill over the love that the Father has given me towards those who do not have that love. And so when Jesus says in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another, he's not just saying to have an inward focus there. He is saying love each other, but let that love spill over into the world. This is not a love that stays to itself. It's a love that pulls others in. And so we should be going into the world together and loving each other and letting that love spill over to those who do not yet have that love. And that, and that requires a togetherness. I believe that as a church, we are friends. And we, we have good friendships here. We have sweet friendships. We have, we have good fellowship together. We do things together. We spend time together. We pray with each other. We encourage each other. But the purpose of our friendship is to go and bear fruit that will abide. So I want to call you today, do not only embrace the love of Christ personally, and don't just extend it to each other, but extend it to the world. Take on, in your own mindset, a definitive purpose for your friendships with each other. The point of our friendship is to make disciples. There are many other blessings that we will experience in our friendship, but the purpose Jesus gives is that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. And so I want to invite you to prepare yourself to respond right now. To uh, The music team can come up, and I just want to invite you to um, think to yourself right now and, and enter into a time of prayer to the Lord. How should we respond to this today? There is no greater friend than Jesus. There is no greater friend than Jesus. And so today I want to call you to embrace his friendship personally. Embrace it personally. Receive it. Delight in it. Believe it. Trust in it. Be satisfied in Jesus' friendship of you. Thank him for loving you, thank him for choosing you, thank him for giving his life for you. I also want to ask, how do you need to extend this friendship to each other? What can you do this week to extend the love and friendship of Christ to one another? There are 33 families in our body, 33 different units in our body. How can you extend Christ's friendship to each other this week? How can you sacrifice for each other? How can you show affection for each other? How can you pursue one another? And then finally, how will you begin to engage those who are not yet Christ's friends? What will you do this week with each other to engage those who are still outside the orb of Christ's friendship and love? Take time right now to thank Jesus for his friendship, to confess the ways in which you have failed to love each other and the world as he has called us to, and to ask him to fill you freshly with the power of his love so that we can love each other and love the world as he has loved us.